And you may be seated. And we want to thank you for being with us. Uh, for all of you who are joining us online and for all of you who are with us today, if you're new, I want you to know that we delight to have you with us. My name is Grant Call. I'm one of the pastors here. We are going through the book of Ruth. One of the things we do is take a book of the Bible and we walk through it verse by verse because we're very interested in God bringing transformation through his revelation. And we're in Ruth chapter one. So if you want to find that, I was thinking back uh, to my high school years, uh, specifically chemistry class. We had a teacher by the name of Mr. Beekler, perfect name for a chemistry teacher, right? And uh, he was this square fellow with glasses. And on the first day, he was telling us what we should do if we should get some of the chemicals we'll be working with in our eyes. And you're like, you're kidding me, you know? And he shows us this like funky little water thing that sprays water into your eyes. I'm like, man, some of my fellow students have probably had to use this at some time. I would like to avoid that, right? But, you know, if this happens, and he says, you will know, okay? I want you to know I was able to avoid that, uh, getting chemicals in my eyes, just watching the water things. Like, I don't want any part of that. But, you know, once you get something in your eyes, man, you know. Like, if you wear contacts, all of you that wear contacts, don't you love the experience that when you're putting your contacts in and you got, there's like a little piece of fuzz or something that got in the inside of that contact, you put it in your eye, all of a sudden, man, like, life stops, right? You're like, ah, and you're doing everything you can to get that out there. And this usually happens to me, like, when I'm running a little bit late and I've got to get to something important, right? And I'm sitting here like, they'll never get this, you know, and you're doing everything you can to get that contact out of your eye. If you got something in your eye, man, it, it really will make you notice, and it'll have a real effect on your life. When I was a kid, I was pretty young, maybe like seven years old. I was recently talking with my parents about this event. Uh, we lived in Montana in the middle of the mountains, and my dad was working and got a piece of metal when he was filing in his eye. And I distinctly remember as a kid like just how utterly painful it was to this grown man, my dad. And as it would be, we were 100 miles away from the nearest doctor, so we have to travel through the mountains to get to Great Falls so we can find a doctor to get that piece of metal out of my dad's eye. And he was very sick and in a ton of pain. And it was a very memorable experience, and nothing was going to happen until that was removed. I tell you that because you don't want chemicals or metal filings in your eye. And let me tell you something you do not want in your heart. Bitterness. Just like uh, chemicals or some sort of little fragment of something in your eye is going to bring your life to kind of like a standstill until it's addressed, bitterness will contort and distort you. Perhaps you've met people like this. Once they were kind of like full of life and things were good and circumstances, difficulties, the trials and the tragedies and the sufferings of life and you being, being treated unfairly, I got news for you. That's going to happen. Some of you are like, oh my, yeah. I never thought, you know, when I'm young, you're like, you're going to bypass all that stuff. Tragedy, trials, difficulty, that's for other folks and I'm decent and I'm just going to skirt past that. I want you to know none of us are exempt. And if you don't have a healthy way how to address bitterness that starts creeping up in your heart, it's going to distort you. It's going to affect you in adverse ways for the rest of your life. And not just you, the people you're in contact with. What happens when we are blinded by bitterness? As we're going through the book of Ruth, we are going to see firsthand 
what it looks like to be blinded by bitterness, looking at this woman, Naomi. Just to kind of bring you up to speed as we've been going through the book of Ruth, you've got a woman by the name of Naomi. She's married to Elimelech. They got these two boys. There's a famine in the land of Israel. God said, listen, you walk with me, you rejoice in me, you follow my word. I'm going to bring great blessing in your life. You're going to be a visual demonstration of my power and grace to the world. On the other hand, if you disregard me, you go complacent, or furthermore, you start buying into the the lies and the little G-O-Ds, the little gods of this world, I will get your attention, I'll bring judgment. And that's exactly what happened. They were in the, this is the time of judges where everybody did what is right in their own eyes, kind of like America today. Just whatever you want, matter what do you feel, you define morality, you do whatever you want. Well, that was happening in Israel. And furthermore, they were worshiping false gods. And God says, you know what? We're off track here. And I'm going to get your attention. And he did so through a famine. And the famine was so bad that uh, Elimelech and Naomi, like, wow, there's no food in Bethlehem, which happens to mean house of bread. So they left. They went to the land of Israel's enemy, the land of Moab. And things went from bad to worse. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies in the land of Moab. And her two boys end up marrying two girls from Moab, Moabites. You're like, oh, no big deal, huge deal. Because the Moabites worshipped a god called Chemosh, who was actually worshipped with child sacrifice. And so the whole idea of grandchildren, like, these girls might think that they got to offer one of my kids, my grandkids, up in a sacrifice like that. To make matters even more complicated, uh, there were no children that were born through either one of these marriages, and both Naomi's boys die. That leaves her with these two daughter-in-laws. She hears that there is bread in the land of Israel. God has lifted the famine. There's now a harvest. She's heading back. She's got those two daughter-in-laws in tow. When they're kind of halfway, it's about a 50-mile journey from Moab to Bethlehem, she turns and says, girls, I want you to go back to your mother's home. You go find husbands. There's no hope with me. Where we're going, it's not going to go farewell with you. Oprah, Orpah, she hears that. She goes, okay, all right, I'm out. But Ruth says, no, no, I've been changed. I want you to know something. Your God He's now my God. God had opened up her eyes. She saw the goodness and the grace despite the fact of all the difficulties in their lives. And so Ruth and Naomi are making their way back from the land of Moab, this 50-mile, very hilly journey. And you see them there in verse 19, chapter 1. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? All of Bethlehem was like a stir of commotion. And they're like, whoa, wait a second here. This? You're you're Naomi? Why? You're barely recognizable. The pain and the tragedies and the trials that she had gone through were so distorting her life. If you want to know what happens when all of your life's props get kicked out from underneath you, when you are stripped down to nothing, you want to see what that's like? You look at Naomi. You know, so often it's all of our like, hey, you know, I'm in this group and and I've got this career going. I've got got a pretty sizable account in my uh, money market accounts and I'm doing all right with my retirement and I've got this job and I've got this prestige and I've done these things. You know what? 
all of those things are temporal. And if you're finding your identity and what you look like and what you've got and what you think you possess, God wants you to find his, your identity in him. He wants to be your sole hope. Don't be surprised if all those things get stripped away from you. And when they find Naomi coming back into Bethlehem, she is unrecognizable. This would be the opposite of like uh, you going back to your class reunion, you know, like several decades later. And like every woman, whether they're going to admit it or not, I'll just tell you what happens. Like, let's say it's been several decades, maybe like three since their, their class reunion, and they come back, and what does every gal want to hear? <gasps> oh, you haven't changed a bit. You look like you were seven, just 17, right? Right? Isn't that what you want to hear? I want you to know, for Naomi, there is no makeup artist that could conceal those lines, her face ashen, dark circles, deep lines of stress and distress in her face. And they're asking this question. You see it in verse 19? Can this, can this be Naomi? You know, Naomi has got a lot of parallels to that legendary sufferer, Job. If you ever read the book of Job, you know, you find out like, whoa, extreme trials that he went through. I hope that never happens to you. But do you remember when Job's friends showed up? It says this in Job chapter 2, that they did not recognize him. And he goes on to, they go on to say, because no one was speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. That's what's happened with Naomi. Her pain is so very great and she knows it. In fact, she can't help but to speak of it. Verse 20, and she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. They're like, are, are you Naomi? You know what her name means, don't you? Pleasant, lovely. That was her life. In Israel, their name really captured the essence of who they were their disposition, how they functioned, what they were known for. Naomi, pleasant, lovely. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. You probably don't name your kid Mara. You know why? You know what it means? Bitter. And its origins go all the way back to Exodus chapter 15. Remember when God took his people out of Egypt and he led them through the wilderness for 40, 40 years and he's bringing them to the promised land. And there's a, a lot of training that has to take place in those 40 years. But remember pretty early on, they come to this, this like lake and the water is just bitter. The word, Mara, that's where they were at. And that's the origins of this word. And she says, call me bitter. Now you remember, God actually sweetened the water. So what went from like, we can't even drink this to it was sweet and pleasant and they were able to drink it. And God does bring them to the promised land. Perhaps when Naomi says this, she's, she's even saying, you know, call me bitter, but maybe there's a hope that God would bring sweetness to my life. Nonetheless, look what she says. She says, verse 20, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara for the almighty Here's another name for God. It's El Shaddai, the Almighty, the one who is the creator, the giver of life, the one who brings judgment, who can even bring death. He is the Almighty God. And she says this, the Almighty, he has dealt very 
bitterly with me. Perhaps she was even blindsided by the words that were coming out of her mouth. You ever been like that? Where you just kind of start talking, you're like, whoa, I didn't realize that I, I actually even felt quite like this. Why is that? Like Proverbs tells us, the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. And you see, she's saying, the Almighty's against me. That's the problem here. She says in verse 21, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. I, I went out full. I was full of life, lovely, pleasant. I had a family. God had given me this. They likely had a lot of resources. I went out full. But she says, but God has brought me back empty. She still believes in God. She knows God's character and the immensity and His power. She refers to it as El Shaddai, the Almighty One. But notice what is absent. Any mention of God's loving kindness. She's missed it. She simply can't see it. Do you know why? She's blinded by bitterness. She's just a shell of herself. And you can hear it even in her words. And like for Naomi... I think she kind of thinks like she is just a relic. She is no longer viable. She's just kind of barely hanging on. She perhaps sees her life like a parallel to my life is like a piece of driftwood. You ever seen just like kind of like one of those just dead piece of gray wood and it just kind of floats onto the shore and it just lies there? That's likely how she sees her life. What she doesn't know is this. She's still on active duty. God is moving and working in her midst. But she's blinded by bitterness. She simply can't see it. You know, you ever feel at times that you you don't fit in? You feel like left out? I mean, like this gets started really early on. We just want to fit in. Got to be in this group, right? And we try desperately to fit in. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes life circumstances kind of you feel like, I am totally pushed off to the sideline. No one wants me. I have no use. That's how Naomi feels. What she doesn't realize, though, is she is part of God's strategic kingdom mission in the world. God is at work. She's missing it. And part of it is because she's missing the full character of God, his loving kindness. And, you know, let me give you some reasons why we miss the character of God, the loving character of God. In part because we don't have the full picture. We never have all the details. We want them. We want to understand why this is happening, right? But I want you to know, God oftentimes does not ever disclose that to us. And that can be very frustrating, the fact that God's ways are mysterious. I want you to know that God isn't obligated to tell us all the reasons why these things are happening. And kind of how it works is like this. Whoa, these are bad things that have happened to me. I've been treated unfairly. This is tragic. God, you've got to explain this to me. Somehow on the ledger sheet, you've taken away these things. You better add some of this up because it's all got to balance out in the end. And I want you to know that's just not how God works. You can't put God in a box 
God is requiring that you learn and I learn how to live by faith. To trust him without having a full explanation and all the details put out there for you. So like, okay, will this make sense? So then I'll keep trusting you or I'll walk with you. You know, some people, and I've, I've met them, think that like when they die, and they're going to go to heaven and they see God. It's like, he better explain to me why this and this happened. That's our first conversation. You know what? I don't really think that's how it's going to work. In fact, all of the things that you are demanding likely are not going to be all that important when you see the Savior face-to-face, when you see his nail-scarred hands, and when you start to see the power, the immensity of his sovereignty and the greatness of his love for you. You will spend eternity in awe and worship. We oftentimes miss the loving character of God because, frankly, we don't see the full picture. We are asked to and given all the resources to live by faith. But second of all, we fail to realize that God uses suffering to open our eyes to the depth of his being. You know what? You cannot really fully know the deepness of the love of God apart from trials in this life. I I wish there was another way, but we've got to go through real difficulties at times. And just even looking around, I, I, I see you. I know that some of you have gone through horrendous, tragic trials, great difficulties. And they've done one of two things. They've either made you real bitter or they have brought about a depth of maturity, love, stability, and, a, and a, such a depth of relationship with God that only trials can bring. I want you to know that it's in suffering that God uses as sacred moments and sacred seasons to bring depth to our life. You see, in the soil of shattered dreams, God cultivates a deeper faith. Never forget that. But for Naomi, why? She's blinded by bitterness, and hence she misses the loving character of God. Let me show you something else that she's missing. She misses how God is working in her midst. Look at this. Verse 22, it says, So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And at first you might, you know, if you're just kind of reading through the book of Ruth, you're just like, oh, okay, there's some details. And there's Ruth, the Moabitess, barley harvest. Okay, big deal. That's the problem. You're missing the demonstration of how God is at work in their midst. Naomi is completely blinded to God's amazing grace revealed right there even in this one verse. I mean, think of it. Naomi returned with her with Ruth, the Moabitess. I mean, think about this. Ruth was once a pagan worshiper, worshiper of the god of Chemosh, a god that required child sacrifice and all the other local deities that were in Moab. God had just accomplished a divine rescue mission, someone that was far, far away from God, far from the people of God. God, in only ways that he could do, brings about a rescue and brings this young gal to a true saving relationship with himself where her faith is in in God and God alone. So much so that Ruth says, listen, don't send me back. 
I tell you what, your God is now my God. Yeah, you're not perfect, and I've seen all your flaws, but I've also seen God and I've heard of him. I've seen and heard and listened to your words, and God has revealed himself, and I am now trusting in him. Don't send me away, because I'll tell you what, I'm going to be with you until death do us part. That's what Ruth says. Only death is going to separate me from you. Do you know what this is? This is God working in Naomi's midst, but she completely misses it. Think of it. Naomi's there. Everybody's like, is this Naomi? And she's like, you know what? I went out full, but I came back, and I'm, I'm back, and I'm empty. I have nothing. Seriously? And Ruth is standing there, and Ruth has to take that all in. Can you imagine what that was like for Ruth? Naomi goes, I've got nothing. Maybe she even looks at Ruth when she says it. I mean, think of Ruth. You know, in her culture at this time, she's got a lot of strikes against her, okay? She's a foreigner. She is a female. She is barren. And she's a widow. She has come from the land of Israel's enemies. And they know it. And even Naomi says, I got nothing. When Ruth stands right there with her. Was Ruth... Was Naomi, excuse me, was Naomi really that totally empty? Did she have no resources? Was she really that poor? Well, think of it. Think of the resources that could have encouraged her to help her to know that God is working in her midst, but she's blinded by bitterness. She misses this. She misses the fact that God had given her life. I mean, life is a precious gift. If you're breathing and you're alive today, that is a gift from God. Naomi misses it. Naomi misses that God has given her opportunity. Naomi's got friends. They're like, whoa, you look different, but they're there to help. They care about her. They want to support her. Naomi has Ruth. I want you to know, Ruth in Naomi's book is like, well, I'm I'm empty. I've got nothing. But you keep reading, you find out just how great a resource, what a blessing Ruth is to Naomi. And the other thing is that... um, Naomi has Yahweh, the God of Israel, the ultimate resource. I mean, he is the God where nothing is too difficult for him. He just demonstrated it. He could bring Ruth, a Moabite, into the family of God. There is nothing too difficult to the one who's the creator, the Almighty. And it's like she forgets all about this. You see, God is at work in tremendous ways. She doesn't see it. But I want you to know that when when Naomi and Ruth walk into Bethlehem, this is going to change the course of the history of Israel and the history of the world. And it looks like nothing's going on here. In fact, here's just a washed-up widow, and she could care less about this daughter-in-law from Moab. God is going to work in ways that are going to change the world through these two women. And then notice something else, how God's at work. And I know Naomi missed that too. They, she's got Ruth. They came to Bethlehem. There's no more famine. How do we know that? Because it's the beginning of barley harvest, okay? So they would plant wheat and barley at the same time, but the barley ripens about a month before wheat. The fact that there's a harvest tells you there's no longer a famine. And what they would do with barley, you could turn it into bread. It's a little rough. They would much rather prefer wheat. But if you had a barley harvest... You know in about a month you're going to have a wheat harvest. And this, they would use this as the first fruits offering as a sign of thankfulness to God. But it was a sign that God was blessing. You see, 
He's at work in their midst. God brings new beginnings. Here it's springtime and a harvest is coming. You need to know something. There are going to be seasons in your life. Sometimes you're going to go through real difficulty. It's not going to make sense. It's going to seem bleak. But I want you to know that God does bring new beginnings. There are seasons in life and there are new beginnings. And here's one right here. God is working in their midst. And guess what? She doesn't see it. And look at else what she's missing. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So a kinsman, or maybe yours says like redeemer. This is someone who has resources, who's in your family, who can buy back the land that you sold so that you can have a livelihood. And Naomi is not even aware of this, or at least she doesn't mention it. Because she says, I'm empty. But notice, Naomi has a kinsman of her husband, someone from her tribe in her family, a man of great wealth. It really oftentimes is translated a man of valor. valor. It's not just that this guy's got money. This guy is the epitome, a man of valor. He's got strength. He has got character, competence, wisdom, maturity, resources, He is everything that would epitomize strength and vitality. Even his name, Boaz, means in him is strength. And guess what? Naomi's got Boaz in her family line. He is a kinsman. He is able to help. He's got resources, wisdom, experience, and a heart that cares. But you know what? When you're blinded by bitterness... Why, you miss how God is working in your midst. You know, God's not here to make us comfortable. He's here to make us conformable to the image of Christ. It's part of the reasons why we're going through these trials. And God is moving in the midst of the trial. But when you're blinded by bitterness, you don't see it. You just don't see it. Humility is what allows us to experience hope in God. It requires humility. We read this book, and this book of Ruth is recorded so that we will see that God is able to reroute tragedy, that God is moving in the midst of her pain in ways that she does not know. Because, friends, when these two women, one who says, call me bitter because I'm empty, Naomi and Ruth are going to be used by God to literally bring about changes in the world. You know, God's sovereignty doesn't always make earthly sense this side of eternity. I say that because that's been been hard for me to handle and to come to terms with, because I'd like to know how it all works out. But I've learned that God is requiring and asking me and giving me the ability through him, to live by faith, to keep moving forward by faith. God has a kingdom agenda, and it is moving forward. He's asking me to trust him, not because it always makes sense. But when we're blinded by bitterness, we don't see how God may be at work in our midst. And you might be wondering, like, well, well, how do I know if I'm blinded by bitterness? 
Well, I'd like to just tell you the characteristics. Chances are, if you're here and you're like blinded by bitterness and you're like, whoa, I can't believe that we're actually talking about this from the book of Ruth today, people in your life know. Let me show you some characteristics of people who are blinded by bitterness. One is that they've got a preoccupation with self and one's feelings. It's just all about me. You're myopic. It's just focused on me, 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 and you're just focused on your feelings. And I'm not saying feelings are invalid and all that. They're God-given, but someone that's real bitter, man, that's just, just locked in. Let me give you another sign that you might be bitter. You have a lack of hope for the future. Now, all of us face times where we're like, man, this seems hopeless. And you might even say it. I mean, I, I've been there. I probably even said it last week, okay? It seems hopeless, right? That's temporary. But if this is kind of your MO, this is kind of how you go through life, no hope, Friends, that's an indication that bitterness is blinding you. Let me give you another one that happens. Isolation. You start removing yourself from people who care. It's isolation. Let me give you another characteristic of being blinded by bitterness. Aggravation with others. Okay, we all have our little moments, you know, where like someone's just like kind of bugging us and irritating us, right? But when aggravation and you being ticked off of people becomes just kind of like how you live, you're angry all the time, you probably got a bitterness issue. Let me give you another. The absence of experiencing and expressing God's grace. Isn't that Naomi? She knows that God is almighty, but she just has no understanding of God's grace. She's certainly not expressing it. Certainly not to Ruth. Let me give you one other. You're knowing God, but not trusting him or trusting all of him. You know him, you know about him, but you're not trusting him or trusting all of him. So let me give you some reasons why we can miss and doubt God's sovereignty and goodness. So I've given you some characteristics of people who are bitter, but let me tell you some reasons why you can move to a state where you're bitter, you're not trusting in God's sovereignty, and you seem to no longer really believe in his goodness. One is we have a fallen perspective, okay? And that means that we are fallen individuals, we're fallible, we don't have all the answers, and like our flesh can kind of rear up. And this is going to happen from time to time to all of us. We're like, man, this, and I'm, I'm bitter and I'm upset about this, okay? It's going to happen, but it's one of the reasons why bitterness can become a way of life. And we doubt that God is good and sovereign. Let me give you another, and this is really important. Pay attention. Patterns of sin. If you've got patterns in your life where you're doing what you know is wrong, is absolutely sinful, and he's like, well, it doesn't matter, and it's just all of grace, and I can do whatever I want whenever I want, but you know you are sinning against God, the Spirit of God has brought conviction at your time, but you keep ignoring that, I want you to know that those kind of patterns are going to distort your soul. Whatever you're ingesting, whatever you're putting through your system into your soul is going to start shaping your life. And if you're doing things that you know are wrong, I want you to know it's going to affect you. Check your diet. Let me give you another reason why we can miss God's sovereignty and goodness. And that is you actually don't really know God. You know about him, you've been to a church, maybe your family, is, they're believers, but if you don't really know God, 
you're probably moving more and more toward bitterness. You're going to fake it, feign it, like, oh, that's not me. But you see it at different times in your life. God is bringing you to an end of yourself so that you will trust him. I've experienced that. That was part of my story in college of coming to a place of truly trusting Christ and Christ alone. Let me give you another reason why you can miss and doubt God's sovereignty and goodness. You got bad theology. You've never really gotten in deeper into who God is and how he uses trials, the purpose of trials and how God works in this life, his character, his sovereignty, his justice, his love. You, you have settled for a superficial version of Christianity. And right now it is really popular in Christianity, and especially in America, to just kind of keep you entertained, throw in a few Bible verses, but as long as you've got a good feeling when you're walking out of there, we're good, right? I want you to know cotton candy Christianity doesn't fare well when you face a crisis because all of a sudden like, whoa, the good feelings are gone. This ain't doing it for me. That's because you've never really gotten in deeper with your relationship with God and the truth that he's given. Let me give you just one other reason why we can miss God's sovereignty and doubt his goodness. You get confused by circumstances. How can this be? I'm faithful. I love God. I serve. I serve with joy. I've I've given generously, and I've got these things in my life that are irreconcilable of great difficulties, and God could have stopped that, and why did she say that, and why did this happen? You know, like, "This, this doesn't work out, and what happens is you can move into bitterness. You doubt God's sovereignty, and his goodness. I'll tell you this, you can be humbled, but not be humble. I've seen it. I've seen people that have like gone through terrible things, but they're not humble. They're mad, and they're angry, and they got their rights, and you know, like, are you serious? Remember this, the bonds of bitterness start to break when humility begins. The bonds of bitterness begin to break. They start to break when humility begins. So let me just tell you how to move from bitterness to health. This might be where you're at today, and and perhaps this is going to be really useful for what you're going through in life or for someone that you know. But the very key is to avoid to avoiding bitterness is to focus on the loving character of God remembering his loving character. You sing about it in worship. You read about it in the word. You have friends that remind you, but friends, that is absolutely critical, the loving character of God. Naomi missed it. She's Mara. She's bitter. Um, Let me give you a few others. Ask God, God, what am I supposed to learn from this experience? God, is there something in my life or my heart that you are addressing God, how are you causing me to grow? Asking these kind of questions is going to be really helpful. It's humility of moving out of bitterness into health. Here's another. Ask God to increase your faith. Not answers. God, increase my faith. Give me the assurance for the, to face the doubts that I have. Help me to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. God, give me the faith to forgive. Someone hurt you pretty bad? God, give me the faith to forgive and to remember that I've forgiven them. Here's another. Learn to give thanks and look for things to be thankful for. I I tell you, when I see bitterness creeping up in my life, 
I'm like, try to remember the things that I'm thankful for. I am amazed how God uses that when I start giving thanks and start like, ugh, stop focusing on what's really bothering me. All of a sudden, I get perspective and peace, hope and joy. And then, well, just one other. Entrust your story to someone else. Don't try to go this alone. You find a trusted Christian friend, someone that's got maturity and wisdom, or a group, or a community, or your life group, or your small group, or your men's or women's group, and you entrust your story to them so that they will help you get perspective and gain peace and understanding. In fact, I want you to know at Fellowship, we have ministries designed to help people not live and dwell and die in bitterness. We've got care ministries like Regeneration, Stephen Ministry, um, Grief Share, because we are a church that wants to help you grow. And if you're looking for help or you want to be one of those who are trained to help others, we've, we've got opportunity for you and we've got need. Would you just contact the church office, go to the website, call, because we want to equip and help people grow so they're, they're not in bitterness. Remember this, Hebrews 12, 15, it says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. I want you to know bitterness, yeah, it's going to really distort and contort you, but you know what? It affects a lot of people if you're not willing to address it. It will truly cause disruption. One of the things that's most helpful in this life especially when you're going through trials and difficulties that you don't understand, is to remember that this life, this side of eternity, is like tapestry. You ever seen tapestry? You know, on one side, you know, you got all these like dangling threads and it looks like a jumbled mess, right? But then you flip it over and you see like, wow, there's this beautiful pattern. Well, I want you to know in this life, it's like a tapestry and you got all these jumbled threads and it's like, it's a mess. This means nothing. But oh, it's from God's perspective, it's him communicating, I love you fully in Christ. And friends, one day we will see. But in the meantime, we live by faith. And some of these dark threads that are weaving through right now, I want you to know the lighter threads, they shine even greater against the backdrop of darkness. Trust God. He knows what he's doing. And bitterness doesn't need to be our way of life. Do you know why? Because we have life in Christ. Let me give you some verses to greatly encourage your heart. It says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit, right? Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Do you need life? Seriously? If you need life, Life is found in Christ. He's the way. He's the truth. He can be trusted. He loves you. Go to him. In fact, it says in Hebrews 13, 5, remember how it ends? He himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I'm with you always. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this, God is too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken, and when you cannot trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. Friends, I've had circumstances in my life that I don't get. I can't understand it. I do know this. I can trust 
his heart. God, give me the faith to believe. Bob Russell writes of a father who is watching his young son in this sandbox try to get this big rock out of the sand that he had kind of dug up. And this little boy is digging it out and trying to leverage, but he just can't get it out. And finally, in despair, the little boy just kind of sits at the side of a sandbox, and his dad gets up and uh, comes outside and says, Hey, son, I, I see you're trying to get that big rock out of the sandbox. Are you able to get it out? I'm like, no, I can't. Well, have you tried everything in your power to get it out? And he's like, yes, I, I just can't get it out. And his dad says, no, you haven't tried everything. You haven't asked me. I can get it out. And friends, if you feel like you're in the pit of despair, have you asked God? He will help us. He is with us. He loves us. At this point, I want to just take some time to go into communion. I want you to take these words, and I want you to spend time with our God. Now, if you didn't get one of these uh, communion um, cups, just put your hand up and our ushers will make sure that you get one. But I want you to take a minute just to pray. I want you to talk to God about perhaps you've got a bitterness issue, or maybe you're here and you really need to trust Christ. But we're going to take just a minute to pray, and then together we will take in communion and I'll lead us. So let's just bow our heads and pray for a minute, and you talk to God about what's really going on.